When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to Holding Space Podcast. It is a drizzly spring day in San Diego. Can you hear the birds chirping? I'm in my backyard and I'm editing this new episode and I'm so excited to share it with you. In this episode, I sit down with Tamara Taggart. Tamara is a Canadian journalist and activist. In her TED Talk titled, The Two Conversations That Changed My Life, Tamara describes two pivotal moments in her life. The first being when she was told, your son has an extra chromosome. He has Down syndrome. The second is when she was told, you have cancer. In her TED Talk, she explores how different these conversations were. And in today's episode, we explore, in the context of these two conversations, the power of hope. When I sat down with Tamara, she had recently been let go of her long-term journalism job at a station in Canada. And we explore how hope is showing up for her today to own her story, to find agency in moving through this transition. I'm so excited to share this episode with you and Tamara's story and wisdom. So let's go ahead and jump in right now. You're listening to Holding Space Podcast with Dr. Cassidy Freitas, licensed marriage and family therapist. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Now, let's jump in. I was hoping in our episode today that we could talk a little bit about the power of hope. Mm. I have listened to your TED Talk a couple different times just because it's it's an incredibly powerful talk. Um, your TED Talk is called the, the Two Conversations That Changed My Life. And I wonder, for those of you who maybe haven't listened to your TED Talk, if you could just share a little bit about those two conversations that changed your life, and then we can explore where hope comes into all of this and mm. how, how powerful hope actually is. Yeah, it, um, when, I, when I gave that talk, I was... Um, I was still on my chemo drug. So wow. when I look back on it now, I see I see this person who I almost don't even recognize now visually. Um, my son Beckett was born in 2007. I had a perfect pregnancy. My husband and I were excited. And uh, I did some testing. You know, when you're pregnant that first time, you don't know what... You just do what everybody tells you to do. Yep. You need to go have this test. You need to do this. And I'd never really considered what all these tests were for. And I was told to go do this test called a nuchal translucency test to see if my baby had Down syndrome. And I had never even thought of Down syndrome before. It never crossed my mind. So we went and did this test. Um, the doctor who did the test said, good news. Uh, there's no chance that your baby has Down syndrome. You, he said the weirdest thing to me. He said, uh, you have the same 
you have the same chance as a 15 year old. Your numbers are so good. I, and I, I, I just, it was a weird thing to say that to is somebody. A, that is a weird thing to say. Yeah. And so I walked away from the appointment and crossed something that I never even knew I had to worry about off my list. And, you know, off we went and had a perfectly great uh, pregnancy. So Beckett was born um, on August 2nd, 2007. We had just been married a year. And when he, when he arrived, we didn't know if we were having a boy and a girl or a girl. And so when he arrived, the doctor said, all right, Dave, tell everybody, what is it? And he said, it's a boy. And thank goodness he looks Asian. And everybody laughed because my husband is half Japanese. Uh And I don't think they recognized that he was. And so they all just kind of looked at him funny. And and Dave was so thrilled. And we were like, oh, a boy, a boy. And they, you know, he was put in my arms. And it was probably my second thought. I thought he he has Down syndrome, Mm. but nobody was saying anything. Mm. And, you know, off he went and got measured and weighed and everything was perfect. And he was put back in, in my arms and I, I just couldn't get it out of my head. So they didn't really know. And I couldn't stop thinking of it. And then that night, my, um, my doctor phoned me and said, we need to do some more blood work on, on Beckett, uh, we think he might have Down syndrome. And I knew that, I knew that she was Mm. thinking that. So finally somebody had said it out loud and, um, they did more blood work and we had to wait five days. He was born on a long weekend. So it was really excruciating. And in that time we started you know, Googling Down syndrome. I don't recommend that ever. But that's the first thing we as parents tend to do when there's. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like every single photo and every bit of information has changed so much in the last 10 years. Um, It was like they were all photos from the 60s, like nothing had been updated and everything was very negative. So as we waited at home and we had a house full of people, um, we waited for this phone call and the, the doctor phoned and Dave and I were both on the phone. Beckett was downstairs with our family and, you know, he's just being loved and nobody really knew what we were waiting on here. Right. And the doctor phoned and we picked up the phone and they said, I'm so sorry, mm-hmm. but it's confirmed. Beckett has trisomy 21. And then Dave and I just started to cry and they said, I'm sorry, a few times. Yeah. And it was, I'm sorry that, and the tone of their voice that was so sad Mm. and it was just sad. And then it made me sad. And then all I could think about was I have this beautiful baby downstairs who's being adored. And then they started rattling off like, oh, we're going to have to do this and this and this and this. And you're going to need this appointment and that appointment and come to my office and we'll figure this out. And And Dave and I were just like reeling. So we hung up the phone. We hugged. And I looked at him and I said, "Okay, we're we're the team leaders here. We're the captains of Beckett's team. When we go downstairs, everybody's going to follow our lead. Mm. So if we're sad they'll be sad. If we're negative, they'll be negative. So we're going to go down there and we are not going to cry. Wow. 
And he was like, okay, <laughs> okay. And we went downstairs and I, I announced to everybody, I said, well, it's confirmed Beckett has trisomy 21. And I don't know what that means, but I'm about to do some research. And everybody was kind of stunned and, you know, different generations handle things differently. Right. And so I proceeded to order every book I could find uh, online. And then I wrote a, an email. I wrote, uh, it took me seven hours to write this email, but I wrote an email explaining how we had this beautiful baby boy, what his name was, why he was so great. He happens to have an extra chromosome. Um, and, uh, I encourage you to come by our house and meet him. And so he, um, he had more visitors than I think the Royal baby. (laughs) It was, we had like a couple of hundred people over the few months come through our house and meet Beckett. But as we moved forward and met other doctors, everything was negative, you know, and that's, that was the hard part for me. It was like, he's not going to drive. He's not going to get married. He might not go to a regular school. He has a, uh, a better chance of having childhood leukemia. He uh, might have cataracts. He could probably have hearing problems. We're going to check his heart. His stomach might be bad. I mean, it was just on and on and on. He's not going to walk when he's supposed to or talk when he's supposed to. He's going to be delayed in everything he does. It's going to be hard to toilet train him. I mean, it was just this massive, you know, we were being bombarded with this negativity. Bombarded with a message of no possibility. Mm-hmm. There's no, like, that's all, that's all bad news, mm-hmm. right? How were the two of you as a couple, I mean, in that, even in that first moment, right? When you get that phone call and you get the, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. several times. Mm-hmm. And and I'm sorry, the message there is like, I'm delivering bad news. Mm-hmm. This is bad news. But somehow in that space, you and your partner were able to hug and look at each other and say, let's like how we show up in this is how others are going to respond. Where, where for you and for him did that, did that sort of resiliency come from? Even uh, in that first moment. I have no idea. It was almost like it was instinct mm. for me. Yeah. Um, I just knew that we had a five day old baby who was so cute and so sweet and we were the most important people in his life. And so we had to lead by example, Mm. you know, I'm not going to give up on him. Mm. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It just, it just sort of happened and it's always been that way now. <clears throat> but I I do remember going we had to have an appointment with the geneticist and we sat down with the geneticist Beckett was you know maybe three or four weeks old and this was a turning point for me um you know he came in he had this huge binder on down syndrome and was going to explain everything to us uh, by this point I had read every book there was <laughs> and there weren't very many books at the time Um, there are a lot more now and thanks to social media, there's, you know, this great community. But, um, at one point he said to me, Oh, I feel like, you know, more about down syndrome than I do. And I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm the team captain. I need to be an expert here. So I said to him, I said, is, is Beckett who he's going to be? Keep in mind, he was about three weeks old. I said, is, is it already predetermined who he's going to be? Or is there anything that 
Dave and I can do as his parents, like with therapies and stuff like that, that will, um, you know, evolve him into, you know, um, you know, his best potential sort of thing. Could bring the possibility. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And he said, no, he is who he's going to be. Wow. And I felt like somebody had, you know, broken my kneecaps. And in that, in that exact moment, I thought to myself, you're wrong. You're wrong. I know you're wrong. Mm. You may be super smart, but you are wrong. And I'm going to prove that. And, you know, we left and I thought, okay, this is, I, I just became this mother bear that, you know, I wasn't going to take that anymore. There's no way. No one was going to tell me how Beckett was going to turn out. And so, you know, off we went and um, anybody who was negative, I pushed out. So as Mother Bear, you were also the one who identified what are the boundaries here? Mm-hmm. Who, who's in and who's out? Yeah. 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 You're either in or you're out. Yeah. I, I, because now Dave and I get to choose who's on Beckett's team. Right. And as captains. That's, That's what we get to do. Get to do. <laughs> and so we had this eye doctor. It was determined that Beckett did have cataracts. Mm-hmm. And he he was very young when they found them. It's quite common. Yeah. Um, they haven't bothered his eyes at all. And um, so we, go, we were going for a lot of checkups. But when I heard that my baby had cataracts, again, I went to Dr. Google, which was a mistake. And I had immense panic. Mm-hmm. And so I started asking questions of this doctor and I said, you know, what if he needs surgery and can he go blind and how do they put a new lens in? If, and, and they got mad at me. They were, they said, you know, you're putting the, you're putting the, um, the cart. horse before the, yeah. or the cart before the, the horse, horse and, um, you're worrying about something you don't need to worry about. And mm. I thought, mm, okay, well, I'm actually, <laughs> I think this is pretty valid, but okay. So it's like these two, it's like a, it's like this polarized experiences of either it's, it is all bad and yeah. there's no possibility and it's predetermined how things are going to look mm-hmm. or you're worrying too much. Exactly. You're worrying too much and you're freaking out. And, and he's just a baby. I'm trying to navigate this motherhood thing and, you know, being the parent of a child with special needs and... Anyway, so I was pregnant with Zoe at the time, and this doctor said to me, um, oh, so you're having another one? And I said, yes. And they looked over at Beckett, and then they looked back at me, back at me and said, did you do testing this time? And I said, um, yes, I did. And they looked back at Beckett and turned to me and said, well, you're very brave. Wow. And I ran to the bathroom and started crying. Mm. And Because I, for you, in them saying that, what's the message there? What's I just the thought, I just, that, that my first baby, you know, was not perfect. Mm. And now I was going to try again. And maybe this baby wouldn't be perfect either, or that I was brave. And I don't even know. I just knew that it was ugly. It was ugly. And 
I, you know, I splashed some cold water on my face. I came out, I'm pregnant. Dave's standing there with Beckett in, in the stroller. And I said, come on, we're going. And he said, okay. I said, I'm firing her. And he was like, what, 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 what just happened? <laughs> what did I miss? You're like team captain. I'm like, I'll nope. let you know. She but. is, she is out of here. And I went home, I phoned my doctor and I said, I want a new eye doctor. Yeah. And they said, oh my gosh, Tamara, there's a year long wait list. I said, I don't care if I have to wait. I said, if my child ever needs surgery, that doctor is not doing it. No. And so it took four or five months, but I got a new eye doctor and I felt for the first time I felt empowered that Mm. I, you know, I, I am the boss here Mm. and you can't talk to me like that or you can't talk about my child like that. So And I wonder if even in a moment like that, you begin to see this isn't predetermined Mm. because I have agency and choices here Mm -hmm. of who is on the team, who's going to show up for us, and when a boundary needs to be set, what that boundary is going to be. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think at the time it was just so reactionary, like my instincts and my gut and my love and my, you know, my... So, you know, as we carried on, you know, we had... I had Zoe... And it was great. It was crazy to have, you know, two babies um, so close together. And and then um, I felt good. I felt like Beckett had, you know, he had a team. And then and then I felt bad because I thought, oh, poor Zoe. She's (laughs) she has this big responsibility for the rest of her life and she doesn't even know it. So, of course, I wanted to have another baby. And so we had another baby, uh, Poppy. Um, And so. You know, I had these three little kids and after I had Poppy, I was so tired and abnormally tired. Mm. Like, I, you know, I think women and mothers, you know, we, we have a lot going on. We're multitaskers and we do a lot. And Fatigue can come with the territory, but you were yes. beyond. This was more, beyond. but I didn't know it was more than regular fatigue. Because every doctor said to me, oh, you know, you're a mom and you work and that's why you're tired. And I was going for blood work and it was coming back extremely uh, worrisome. But there didn't seem to be a problem. And I think with a lot of women, when there is something wrong... Um, we are told that, um, there's no family history. You're too young. Um, uh, don't worry about this. You're anemic because you bleed every month. I mean, these are the things I was being told. These are the messages. And I started to believe them, Mm -hmm. but I knew deep down inside something wasn't right. Now I had no idea it was going to be cancer. Like that is not what I was thinking. Um, but after, a bunch of trend, uh, I had a bunch of iron infusions at the hospital and I would go in and the nurses who were all women would say, Oh my gosh, honey, how are you getting out of bed? Like, this is not normal. You should be, you know, the way your blood is, you should be not even able to get out of bed. And I said, I know that's how I feel, how but <laughs> everybody's saying I'm just, you know, and they're like, Oh no, this is something's mm-hmm. not right. And I woke up one day I had the worst headache of my life. I went to work and I passed out and I ended up in emergency and I had a blood transfusion and the doctor said to me, you're bleeding somewhere. And so, uh, they determined pretty quickly that I had, um, uh, a bleed in my 
somewhere in my GI system, they thought that um, I had a tumor in my uterus or in my bladder. It turns out it was a 10 centimeter tumor hanging off the end of my small intestine. I was scared and um, I was in an enormous amount of pain and I came to a place, and again, maybe it's a protection mechanism, I don't know, but I just um, be numb (laughs) emotionally and try to just ride it. I had to ride it and I didn't think about anything other than where I was at that moment. And I couldn't think of my kids. I just could not think of my kids. I mean, that is absolutely a protective mechanism, right? Like that, that system in your body of stress, right. Or of this is I'm facing my own mortality. Mm-hmm. This is there's danger here, right? And so, what, yeah. one of the ways in which we protect ourselves from how terrifying that is is either disassociating or yeah. numbing, right? And just becoming super hyper focused on the thing in front of you that potentially will get you on the other side mm-hmm. alive and safe. I knew I was in trouble. Yeah. I mean, there was no denying that. I knew I was in serious trouble. And I knew that when. I was being wheeled into surgery. I knew there was a very good possibility that I was going to die. As a mom to three, my partner and I find that one of the biggest struggles we have faced in our relationship is navigating sharing responsibilities and the mental load. And I know that we're not alone because this shows up with all of my clients and in every podcast episode, the mental load of parenting shows up in some way or another. Enter the scene, coexist. Coexist is the app that's revolutionizing how couples manage the mental load of household tasks and childcare. It's like having a personal assistant right in your pocket, helping you and your partner effortlessly share tasks, plan meals, collaborate on lists, and even give each other kudos along the way. Here's the cherry on top. For my amazing community, Coexist is offering an exclusive deal. Sign up for a two-week free trial before June 15th, and you'll get 15% off the annual plan on iOS with the code DrCassidy15. So what are you waiting for? Really, take that first step towards a more harmonious home life today. Download Coexist on Android or iOS at getcoexist.com. The load in our home has been feeling a little bit lighter since downloading Coexist, and yours can feel lighter too when you download the Coexist app at getcoexist.com. Since becoming a parent and as I've gotten older, I've become a lot more mindful of the supplements and products that I use, and that's why I love Peary. These are natural food supplements that I trust completely. Let's talk a bit about collagen. So collagen is so important for our bodies, but our natural production of it slows as we get older. So I've learned. And quality supplements support our muscle, bone, and joint health. Recently, I've been taking Puri's CP1 Pure Collagen Peptides. It was number one out of 28 collagens tested by the Organic Consumers Association and Clean Label Project. There are enough hard decisions that we make every day as parents, and this makes Puri an easy choice. 
See and feel the difference with Puri. I know you'll love their supplements as much as I do. Puri is offering my listeners an amazing deal, 20% off site-wide. Just go to my special URL, puri.com backslash Dr. Cassidy, and use my promo code Dr. Cassidy. So go to P-U-O-R-I.com slash Dr. Cassidy. Don't miss out. Use promo code Dr. Cassidy at Puri.com backslash Dr. Cassidy. And I, you know, but I was also, um, I ha- I was relaxed because they had given me something to relax me. You know, my husband was with me. And I honestly, I thought I was in, it was so bizarre. I thought I was in an episode of like Grey's Anatomy because I had been so obsessed with that show. I haven't been able to watch that show since. Yeah, I know, I bet. <laughs> but um, I was so obsessed with that show that everything, I was like, okay, well, yeah, you're the doctor that, you know, and I, again, a coping mechanism, right? Oh, to absolutely. sort of, I'm going to wake up anytime now. This isn't right. going to be real. Right. And then I did wake up and, um, I remember my husband saying to me, I was in so much pain. It was horrible. And he, he was saying to me, oh, they, they got a tumor and it's, it's not benign or malignant. It's this weird thing. And I was like, what? Like, is this real? And so I was in the hospital for nine days and I never saw my kids. Mm. I didn't have access to the internet, my choice. And I just tried to, I tried to just get through every single day. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was hard. And then I saw my oncologist. So they, they took this tumor, they sent it to pathology. I didn't know what it was. Yeah. There were, you know, a steady stream of doctors coming through saying, we think it's this, but nobody knows until they get the results back. So I had an appointment to see an oncologist. The pathology came back um, that it was a gastrointestinal stromal tumor, which is a rare cancer. It's called a GIST, Mm. G-I-S-T for short. And it's a rare cancer. It's 15 in a million people, mostly senior citizens. (laughs) I'm, (laughs) I'm not a senior yet. But so I was, I was like, what? Yeah. Yeah. And they thought it had probably been growing in me for a couple of years. Wow. So keep in mind, I had had a C-section with Poppy, yeah. countless ultrasounds. I was a person who had been looked over. You had been checked out and yeah. this thing, this hadn't been no. seen. And it was 10 centimeters when they took it out. Wow. So I saw my oncologist who happened to be the world expert on GIST tumors. Well, thank goodness. And I saw him on Valentine's Day and I, I came in and he, he was amazing, immediately amazing. I was with my best friend, Salima and my husband, because of course you hear nothing when you're in these appointments. And I only had one question and it was, is this going to be what kills me? Mm. And I think that, you know, Dave and Salima were somewhat horrified that I asked that question, but I had to know. You had to know. And he looked at me and he said, in the short term, no. In the long term, not if I can help it. Mm. Mm. And I was like, okay, yes, thank you. And he said, Tamara, you're going to be okay. There's a miracle medication. And 
it, you know, was just discovered 15 years ago to work for the type of cancer you have, and you're living in the best time, and you're, we're going to put you on this starting tomorrow, and it's going to do this, this, and this. Here is my cell phone number. Here is my email address. If you are feeling anything, you, you reach out to me and, you know, I was on television. So he said, I'm not giving you this because you're on TV. I do this for all my patients. Mm. And he made me feel like not only was I going to be the captain of this, but he was already my captain. He was already, he he wanted to join the team. Yes. And he was going to be a captain with you. And there's so much hope and possibility. And I felt energized by him. Yeah. And so... I was scared. I thought, oh, if I text him, he's not going, like, he's not going to respond, right? But sure enough, I went on that medicine and it was tough. It was brutal. It was a horrific um, change for my body. And the side effects were fast and furious. And I wasn't mentally prepared for that or physically prepared. And so I would text him and say, I can't stop throwing up. I da, 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 da. And he would text back, okay, here's what we're doing. Don't worry. This, this, you know, I felt so safe with him. I had to, in order to survive, I had to look to him as an example of how to be in this moment of, I'm going to be okay. It's super tough right now, but we can pull back in order to move forward. And that was sort of what he taught me. This medicine is tough. We're going to pull back. We're going to reset and then we're going to move forward again. And Mm -hmm. he was right. It worked. And, you know, I met some really, it's so rare that I met two other people in Vancouver where, um, that had the same, same cancer. And I call them my gister sisters and, (laughs) and, you know, they were the same. Like we were able to sort of take this weird, rare, horrible experience and, and thrive and find connections and find community Mm -hmm. and find empowerment and meaning. So did this experience with the medical, with with the medical crisis, with a medical issue, Mm -hmm. right. And the medical community, did this experience shift how you were able to look back on your experience with finding out that your son Mm -hmm. had Down syndrome? I didn't know how negative that was mm. until I saw how positive mm. and supportive yeah. the cancer diagnosis was. I wasn't met with negativity, even though cancer is horrible. Cancer is horrible. Down syndrome is not horrible. <sighs> But it was, and so that's what my, my TED talk was about was, and until I was on the other side of it, I wasn't able to see just how wrong those two conversations were really like one would think that the negative conversation would have been about the the cancer, the ugly tumor. And, um, and the positive would have been about my beautiful son who Mm. just happens to have an extra chromosome. Right. So I, you know, after I did that TED talk, um, the Huffington Post wrote about it, and uh, the the headline said, "Tamara Taggart um, compares her son to a tumor." And oh. I thought it was interesting, right? Because <gasps> oh my gosh. 
it was something like that or 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 my son is not a tumor or something like that right and it was so harsh to read that but i understood what they were trying to say and right. it is true right my right. son is not a tumor and i think i even said that in the ted talk i think i did say that my son is not, not a tumor a tumor he is this beautiful human being who is i mean he's 10 years old now and he he is um I mean, he's amazing. And, and for me, um, I have been able to now, in, I mean, think about what's happened in the last 10 years, social media wise, right? Where we've been able to make these connections to people walking the same path as us. Right. And getting a, a more real view into what life is like living with someone whom you love that has Down syndrome or living with Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. So when you made that first Google search, you said that what you found was was scary and images and things from way back when, Mm -hmm. right? But now with social media, we can begin, and and you do such a beautiful job of this uh, as as an advocate of inviting people into what is life, what does life look like and what is actually possible? How can we begin to see somebody who has a disability beyond the disability, right? Mm -hmm. In all the parts of their identity and all the things that are possible and beautiful. Mm -hmm. I remember somebody said to me when Beckett was small, a doctor said to me, in the grand scheme of things, Down syndrome is not a big deal. And at the time he said, you know, you won't understand this right now. Mm. He said, but there are so many horrible things that can happen in a person's life. We know everything there is to know about Down syndrome. It's not a secret. And it's true. It's not a secret. I can go buy a book. I can make a connection. I can go to a group. And it's funny that they said that because then I got this cancer that was so rare, there was no one to talk to about it. And, and so it, it still is this weird sort of unknown thing. And the nice thing about that now is about the cancer is that I feel like I was supported so well by my oncologist, Mm. um, that I rarely think about it now. Like I, I still get checked once a year and I will for the rest of my life because of the type of cancer I had and how it spreads. I'm off the chemo drug. I did it for three years. And um, so when when you first asked me about that that TED talk, when I look at it, I see my I see mm. I see how pale I was from the drug. I see my chemo hair from the drug. I see a lot of things. Mm. And, you know, I was wearing all black, you know, trying to hide, you know what I mean? Like all these things that I see now, um, you know, I've met so many people, strangers, (laughs) um, who are walking through the same path Mm -hmm. or who are going through their own struggle. And, you know, they always say to me, you know, I, I love what you say because it, it gave me the strength to ask for this or insist on this or fight for my child for this or fight for my own health, right? That's, that's a big thing I learned was how to be an advocate for myself. Being an advocate for somebody else is really quite easy, hmm. you know, especially when it's your child. Right. But when you have to be an advocate for yourself, it's very difficult. Hmm. And so I learned how to do that. And I always say to people, you know, you have to learn how to be an advocate. And if you can't be one for yourself, find somebody who will. Mm. 
And if you get really desperate, just call me and I'll do it (laughs) for you. you. (laughs) I really do. I really do like it because I think it's important, you know, hope and empowerment, right? That they go hand in hand. Like you feel when you have hope, you feel empowered. Right. Um, When you are empowered, you have hope, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's, it's, um, it's taught me a lot. Beckett has taught me so much. What has he taught you? He's taught me how to be patient. Yeah. He's taught me how to love in a way that I didn't know was possible. Mm. Um, you know, he was our first child and he, he, he just came into our lives at the right time. And, you know, Dave and I feel so lucky to be parents to these three kids. And, you know, Beckett, his, um, he's got these two little sisters. He's taught our girls how to be incredible people without them even knowing it. Mm. And, you know, he's just, he's such, he's such an amazing person. Everybody who meets him just falls in love with him. Like he's just a he's just a gem. He really, truly is. And he's taught me resilience. And how, how has resilience shown up for you in ways Mm. that you need it now? (laughs) Well, um, you know, just a few weeks ago, I lost my job and it's a job that I have been doing. uh, I've been working at for almost 21 years. And so it was a shock and was, you know, unexpected. I was blindsided and, and it's been super sad, Mm. not the job part, just the, um, the feelings that I have of betrayal Mm. and the feelings that I have of, you know, just confusion. Right. And so I know, you know, the best way to determine the future is to look at your past. And so when I look at my past, I know I'm tough. Mm. I know I'm resilient. I, you know, I've, I've, I've learned a lot in the past 10 years, um, for sure. And, you know, I know I'm, I know I'm going to be okay, Mm. but I also know I also know that I need to move through this with caution. And to allow yourself, well, tell me what, if, if you agree with this, allow yourself to actually feel the feelings that you just expressed. Yes. The feelings of, of hurt and confusion. Yes. Uh, the biggest lesson I learned, and I don't even think I've told you this before. I haven't really told very many people at all, but... Um, about, about, I guess it was maybe eight months, nine months after I finished my chemo drug, I had a massive anxiety attack Mm. and I didn't even know what was happening to me. I had never experienced anything like it. In hindsight, I I recognized that I had been ramping up to this for a very long time and, um, when I saw my doctor, um, I, she recognized what it was immediately. And I, and I was ordered to, um, uh, take a short term 
uh, disability leave from work. Yeah. And I had to go, I went into like intense therapy and, uh, medication and, um, and she said to me, Tamara, I, I have seen this coming mm. since Beckett was born. She said, you are a soldier. Mm. Something happens. You just march on forward. You go, go, go. Like, no time for this. No time to dwell on this. Let's yeah. go, people. Let's go. And she goes, it always catches up. Mm. And that's what's happening right now. Wow. And so I know from that experience, and I still... I have to pay attention to that every single day of my life. Because it's potentially really easy to so easy. to soldier up. So easy. And that's what we're taught, I feel like. Yeah. Where does where do you feel like that comes from? And do you feel like as a woman that there is a unique experience that women have or unique discourses around being a woman or being a mother that mm. that leads us to soldier up sometimes? I think this idea that we do you have to do it all? Mm. And that... Superwoman. Yeah. And if we don't or we can't, that there's something wrong with you. Yeah. There's something deeply flawed with us. Yeah. We, and we need to look good. We right. need to yeah. keep all the balls in the air. We need yep. to have the good house. We need to... All these things when actually they don't matter. We say they don't matter. Mm. Um. But I think until you're faced with it, I, I think that I think that more people than ever are suffering from anxiety and depression because we have we have somehow been told that we do have to be little soldiers and and tough and mm. you know, yeah. and so it was a it was a real um, eye opener for me and it was extremely difficult and I've had some. I've had a few relapses, uh, but been able to bounce back a lot faster because I, I recognize. And so I think with this job loss, as devastating as it all is, I know now that I have to feel every feel and I have to um, be with that. Mm, you have to allow yourself yes. to be in that, which is hard. It's so hard. And that's why I came down here. I mean, we're at my sister-in-law and my brother-in-law's house. And I came down here by myself early. My girlfriend's getting married tomorrow. Mm. And so I'm here for her wedding. But I came down early to be by myself, to be with my thoughts. And, you know, it's hard. Oh, I don't like to be alone. I know. I don't either. And to be alone with your feelings, oh. right? Because then all of a sudden, all of a sudden you have to look at them. I can't run away. You can't run away. But what I'm also hearing in what, you, what you've shared in your story is that you recognize that you don't want to run away. That, no. That, you, that actually by turning to these parts of yourself and honoring them and allowing yourself to show compassion towards those parts of yourself through feeling them, that actually in that space, you are able to move through it in a way where it's not going to then catch up to you later and catch you off guard and turn into fest and fester into something bigger mm -hmm. and worse. Mm -hmm. And I've learned it's okay to be vulnerable. Mm. So much power and vulnerability. Mm -hmm. It's okay. You know, everything's going to be okay. I am so grateful to you for taking the time well, inviting me in, right? And inviting us in and the listeners in 
Is there any final or last message that you would share around hope, vulnerability that you that you would share from what you've learned in your experiences? I think the biggest lesson that I've probably learned is that I have three small people mm. who are watching me when I don't even know they're watching me. And I am the sunshine in their life. And I want them, everything I do is for them. Mm. And they get to learn resiliency and hope and vulnerability and authenticity through watching me. And so how I process it and move through it is my biggest lesson for them. They always have my love. They know that. But I'm teaching, we're all teaching our children and those around us something without us even knowing it. So I think that, you know, hope is something that is really important that, you know, our kids, our kids need to know how to have hope. And that they can hold space for both the hope and the positivity and that there are moments where we just soldier up and we work through, but we also can hold space for vulnerability and pain Mm -hmm. and struggle. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. What a beautiful gift. Oh, Thank you so much for sharing your story with us and for offering so much magic just in, in our conversation. Thank you. You've been listening to Holding Space Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the information that was shared in this episode. If you did, you might want to subscribe and be the first to hear about future episodes as soon as they air. Thank you so much for sharing this space with me. Have a great day. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.